Geek Vibes Live is rated G for Geek. Hey, this is Matt Lesher. This is Phil Lamar. Hey, this is Rodney Taylor, a.k.a. the Penguin Gotham, and you are listening to Geek Vibes Live. Here we go. Welcome, welcome, welcome to an all-new episode of Geek Vibes Live. I am your host, Jawan, and we have an awesome show planned for today. Uh, this one hopefully will be a shorter one than usual, but we'll see. I talk a lot. Um, without further ado, let's introduce our panel, starting with Tia. What's going on, Tia? How are you guys doing today? I'm super excited to be talking about all the things that we're talking about in our Geek Vibes Live. And besides that, just happy to be here. Absolutely happy to have you. And we got the mind behind the entirety of the word whore. Dom, what's going on, Dom? <laughs> I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. I'm glad to be here and uh, ready to get into it. Absolutely, absolutely. We were talking during like pre-production and we're fired up already. Um, but last but definitely not least, from the Cena Nerd family, Will. What's going on, Will? What's up? How y'all doing? What's going on? Will, can I tell you what one of my biggest fears is? What's that? Every time I have you on, when I say Cena Nerd, I always think to myself, I'm saying it wrong. And then, like, I fight with myself. I'm like, no, no, Cena Nerd. Yeah, yeah. like, Cena Nerd. Yeah. And then when you Cena don't nerd. correct me, I'm yeah. like, yeah, I'm like, all right, I said it right. Like, like yeah, the whole, yeah. whole argument it, it, I have in my head, I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it rolls off the tongue. Seen and nerd. Yep, you got it, man. Good to, good to be here. Absolutely, absolutely. Absolutely. We're glad to have you, man. We, I, I don't think you were on last week, so it was, it's definitely good to no, have you it's on. Been a couple, it's been a couple of weeks, week. so it's good, to be, it's good to be back. Thanks for having me again. Absolutely. So let's get right into this. I want to talk the importance of marketing and the R word, R word being rated R. Um, I, I want to save marketing for later because, Tia, you know this. I could talk marketing for at least 48 hours and never get tired. Um, so I want to start with rated R um, and how Deadpool, Logan, and Joker, and no one ever talks about this, but The Watchmen. The Watchmen was rated R and did really well also. Um, but those four movies were your quintessential rated R comic book films, not superhero movies, comic book films, and they were a success. Now, that does make a lot of studios go, well, do I have a product that I could make rated R that will make as much money as those movies did? Um, and I say it's, it's the shot in the barrel. I mean, I could be completely honest with you, Deadpool didn't make a crap load of money necessarily because it was a great movie. It's marketing. It's what brought in at least, I'd say at least forty five percent of that, of uh, of that box office. Um, it it kind of catering to women doing the whole bachelorette thing, making it feel like it's a Valentine's uh, Day movie only for women to get there and go, what the hell is this? Um, you know, just doing all the right things marketing wise is how that movie was able to be an overall success. Now, the reason why I say it, you know, it being a great movie isn't necessarily why it was a success is you watch Watchmen. 
that had no marketing, anything. Great movie. Logan, great movie. Um, Joker, great movie. Uh, it didn't really have to rely on anything else. Um, but, Tia, I want to start with you. Um, how is this landscape of rated R comic book films starting to change uh, the way we watch, obviously, superhero comic book movies? And do you think it's going in the right direction? Because we've had four that's been a success. Excuse me. Um, or do you think it could possibly snowball into something bad? So my personal opinion with all of this, as I was thinking about it, the previous movies that we had being rated R and being as successful as they were, I feel are so successful individually because of different things. Watchmen was more contained, right? I mean, granted, we had the Watchmen series, but that wasn't anywhere in anyone's purview back in, what, 2009 when it first came out. You had Joker, which was already going to be on its own, a bit of an art house feel. And I feel like maybe that's why those type of movies did better with their R rating is because they were individual, they were standalone, but this whole idea that every single movie has to be rated R is a bit much because it doesn't a movie doesn't need to be rated R to be serious. I feel like nowadays a lot of people's minds they go it's either rated R or it's a child's movie. No, PG-13 is rated PG-13 for a reason and I've seen some PG-13 movies that really uh, abuse that PG-13 rating to the point where you almost think it should be rated R. But the point is is that it doesn't always need to be rated R, and I think that we need to really take a step back from that idea that everything needs to be that high of a rating because we definitely, when it comes to box office numbers, it definitely makes a difference to have a movie that is more um, available for more people. There's a reason why MC-17 movies don't do well at all. little fun fact for all of you guys out there, American Pie was originally rated um, MC-17, and the director and all those who were involved in it knew that MC-17 would be the kiss of death, and they did everything they could to make sure that that at least got down to a R rating. And I feel like that is now the same thing. When you come to comic book movies and rated R, you can't be so free with it and say, let's just make every movie rated R. It has to be specific. It has to be for a reason. And R rating needs to be important to tell the story. If it is not important to tell the story, it doesn't need to be rated R. And, now that, and I'm sure we'll get into it, but, you know, that's not part of the question, so I'm not going to get into it too much. But I think with what's happening with Birds of Prey, with their R rating, is going to kind of send out a signal to all of the other comic book movies saying to themselves, okay, we really need to think, do we want this to be rated R or do we want a lot more people to go see it? Like, remember when they first were thinking that Black Widow was going to be rated R. Well, I mean, that was mostly a fan thing. But, God, if that was rated R, no one would go freaking see it. It's already a 
50-50 chance that people are going to go see that or not, but an R rating would just hurt it even more. So for me, I really don't want to see this continuous trend of superhero movies always being rated R. It's good when there's a Logan or a Joker or a Deadpool. That's fine. Those need to be those ratings, but not every single comic book movie needs to be rated. I don't need an R-rated Avengers movie. Well, I, I think if you're a studio, what what you're kind of stuck at is no superhero movie needs to be rated R. Obviously, we saw that there were, um, you know, stories of Wolverine that worked. Um, you know, obviously you're part of the X Men movies, and they weren't rated R. Um, you look at Joker um, in the original Batman; that wasn't rated R. Um, you know, you, you look at, <clears throat> excuse me, you look at a bunch of other superhero movies. The Winter Soldier is revered as one of the greatest movies ever, and it wasn't rated R. Um, so I'm like, no, none of these stories have to be rated R. But when you decide that you want one to be, it has to be something that, that needs it. Let me give you an example. Batman v Superman was PG-13. I can tell you this right now. There should, there should not have been one parent that brought a child below the age of 13 into that movie. I tell, I tell this story all the time because everyone always says, Jawan, you're crazy. I watch as a child cry when Superman died. That movie is not for children. That clearly wanted to make a rated R Batman v Superman movie. He wanted to. It was as close to rated R as you could get without cursing, without nudity, without extreme violence. It, it was riding the line of extreme violence. The Batmobile ripped through a car that had a guy in the back seat. So I'm like, it, it, not, not all the time is PG-13 something for children. That movie was not for children. Um, it was very, very gory. Um, well, as gory as you can get for a PG-13 movie. So I look at that and I go, I flip it. Birds of Prey very much is a movie that is rated R, but you can take your 13-year-old daughter to go see it because there isn't anything drastically bad in that movie that would, you know, keep your kid up at night or make your kid think this is okay. Like, there's just, there's nothing. <laughs> there's nothing. Like, I'll even say this to you. It's not even really a spoiler, okay? And, and by the way, we don't, we're not here to really spoil anything of Birds of Prey for anyone listening. That's not what we're here to do. That'll be another podcast. Um, Dom, you'll speak to this. Will, I don't know if you've seen it yet, but Dom, you'll speak to this. There's a scene where Vaz is cutting faces off, and they barely show it. So I'm like, mm-hmm. it, the rated R is like so soft core. <laughs> you know, it's like it, it's like watching something on Cinemax and going, no, 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 that's porn. It's not. It shows nothing. <laughs> like it, it's so soft core compared to what hardcore could be. Um, so I'm like, I watch Birds of Prey, and I'm like. You can take your, your daughter to go see it. Like, you can. Your 8-year-old, maybe not. But if you have a 9, 10, 11, 12, 13-year-old, they can go see it all the way up to, to, to 18. They can go see it. There's nothing crazy in this movie. Um, but, Dom, I, I'll pass it to you. Do you see uh, Rated R becoming a problem? Or do you think something like this is could be like a blimp that they kind of pay more attention to and they shy away from and they – they focus rated R more on individual stories um, that are elseworld rather than trying to take a story that you obviously want to connect to a universe and trying to make that rated R. 
yeah, I'm kind of uh, with Tia to where, for me, I really don't necessarily need a rated R movie, a rated R movie, unless it's a horror film or if it's a like super overtly like action movie, kind of like a, a Rambo type, where you want to see the some guy getting his guts pulled out or head chopped off or something like that. Um, for a movie like for like a movie like Birds of Prey, we've seen plenty of movies that are PG-13 get off multiple F-bombs. They just kind of space it out. And I feel like that could be the reason why this movie was, you know, awarded the R rating was maybe there was too many, you know, fucks in, uh, in one scene. I mean, because they could have, like, she... Like, at least take a Walking Dead, for instance. Now, I know Walking Dead is now TVMA. I don't believe it started off that way. But you can you can say your your bullshit and your, you know, you get, you get one fuck off every once in a while. And once it's spaced out, you don't pay as much attention. But like you're saying, I think with a movie that's so mainstream, once you put more than, like, two or three – they're cracking down on you. Um, and like you said, it wasn't, there was nothing overtly graphic in any of the violence. I, I, I'm, I'm so confused on why it, why it was rated R. It feels like yeah, they were, it was a, they were trying to prove a point almost to, you know, it worked. So let's see if we can do it with um, a female led cast, which is a whole nother thing that I've been seeing that, you know, these some of these people are, have a problem with. But um yeah, I don't I really am confused as to why it's a big issue. I know for myself growing up, um I was taught very early the uh difference between reality and entertainment. So I've been watching rated R movies my entire life. You know, of course there's times where my my mom would cover my eyes, or if I saw something, she would explain because I had a million questions or whatever. So I don't see why people are all of a sudden, the generation that we're from, that we're the ones saying, oh, this movie's too crazy to see when we saw what we saw, and arguably we could say that we're fine um, because we were explained or told or didn't take everything as being reality when we saw it in entertainment. Um, I, so the trend of R ratings, I, I, it's not necessary because um, you can be as violent as you need to be and find ways around doing it um, without um, without the R rating. I mean, with like, take a in-game or no Infinity War with the snap. They easily, if they wanted to, could have made the snap a lot more violent than they than it was. But they did it in a way that it made you feel a lot less. I mean, it made you feel more sad that you see people turning into dust. But he could, they could have easily made it to where you exploded or something. But it wasn't necessary. Um, so I do, I do think that the R rating is not necessary unless you are doing like a one-off. Um, they, like you said, it's not connected to anything because if you do 
a PG-13, uh, say, Batman movie, and then you do a rated R Harley Quinn movie, and then you get back and forth between the PG-13 rated R, then you, you you know, in a sense, are ostracizing a, a certain fan base that can't regularly go. Uh, so they might have to, like, oh, I can see this one, this one I got to wait till it comes on streaming or whatever. Um, so it does. I, I think it does make it a little more difficult. Um, I don't see why people can't, the parents can't take the people to see it, but whatever. Um, so, yeah, I do think that it could become um, – a problem, uh, and I'm sure that they're probably keeping an eye on it in some uh, some ways. But yeah, I don't think it's necessary. Yeah, I mean, my mind always goes to like, who do you make movies for? See, I know I've said this numerous times. When you're making a movie, who are you making it for? Like, what do you want your audience to be? Right. So then you go, all right, you're doing a movie about girl power. What like what audience is that message super important for? Little girls trying to find their identity in life, um, which usually would be girls around that 13-year-old age. Um, so I'm like, why are you excluding them from being able to be a part of something that is really freaking good? Like, I'd want – my little sister is 10. Obviously, I'm probably not going to <laughs> – to have her go see it but um i would love for her to see it because it is just such a beautiful movie about women you know finding themselves and not necessarily realizing that they don't need men um but that they're powerful without them um and you know i kind of feel that from what i got from it dom is that um the true power came from when they did realize that like it's like i have Mm -hmm. the power he has no power over me um, and mm-hmm. then they were able to truly be themselves. So I'm like, that's something you want little girls to to see, you know? Um, it'd be the same thing as Superman. You know, when when you show him at a younger age and then growing up and becoming okay with who he is, you would want little boys to see that. You wouldn't want to make Superman rated R, and I'm eight and I can't see it. Um, you know, so, I mean, Kanan has said this numerous times, it being rated R will hurt birds of prey. I'm saying I don't disagree i'm just saying it only takes one parent to say i saw it and there's nothing really bad in it like you can go take your daughter tomorrow you know it just takes one of those and then it starts it starts growing and then more and more and more people see it but i didn't want to say for i pass it to you will for everyone who's saying that this it's lacking or whatever in the box office um you know, will result in us probably not getting a sequel or not getting uh, Gotham City Sirens. I would say Warner Brothers. If you're okay doing a Shazam 2, and that completely was a disaster overseas, like you don't even have a market for Shazam anymore overseas, um, I think Birds of Prey should have a sequel. I think you still should do Gotham City Sirens. Just know now um, that if you want to do Gotham City Sirens and you want that to be rated R, Actually look up what rated R means and then try to make sure you fill every bracket in that category. Or make it PG-13. Like, none of these characters need to be overtly violent, overtly sexual, overtly, you know, drug use or anything like that. 
I'm like, just find a middle ground. But I, I think this movie relied too much on the cool it factor of being rated R that it completely psyched itself out and didn't live up to being rated R. Um, but, Will, I don't even know if you've seen it yet, but yeah. do you think rated R is something that could kind of spin off into something bad? Um, or do you think it's something that, you know, this is a blimp. They could do more rated R films and it work. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I haven't seen it yet. Um, I, I saw, finally saw 1917, uh, which, you know, definitely – earned its R rating. And I think I'm, I'm trying to divorce the conversation from birds of prey, because I think, and just looking at a larger picture point, as far as the genre and because you know, cause I haven't seen bird of prey, birds of prey. So I can't really speak to it as far as whether or not I feel like it earned an R rating or not. But, but, you know, looking back at things like, other films in the genre where you did have an R rating, like a Deadpool or or a Logan, and where clearly there are aspects of those films that uh, it, it well deserved this its R rating. Uh, but but you know, but I think I think the bigger point for me as far as whether a film does well, regardless of rating, is just how well it's one marketed and two how how just honestly how well of a story it it has and and so you know just from your and other people's I've seen reactions you know getting back to birth to prey on social media I don't think it, it it seems to me that the the problem with this film is not so much as rating it, it does go back to its marketing and how it was poorly marketed it uh, not that they were trying to hype up the R rating or anything like that, but you know exactly what this film's about. And so, if it's underperforming its expectations, it's not because of the R rating. It's just because the people just weren't sure what they were actually going to get as far as the general audience. I mean, you know, Sarah and I joke about this on our podcast. You know, we are a different breed of fan than say the average person. So, of course, we know more the ins and outs of some of this stuff than just average person on the street who just, like, wants to go and just watch watch a film. So, you know, if it was about empowerment, then, you know, maybe they could have done a better job of selling that particular point. If it was about getting, hey, you know, it's cool about an R rating and let's get into a you know, you know, try to be like Deadpool, which you know did have the irreverent Merc with the mouth marketing. You know, then go with that. So, I think for for me, it seems that the R rating is not necessarily a scarlet letter for for a film if it, if it's marketed well and and it can overcome that. If you if you if you sell it, the film clearly sell what the film's about. And one of the biggest problems that I've you know had about this film, you know, and I've talked about it before on this podcast and our own, is you know, is what what are they getting at, and how is this film going to be different than a, a awesome version that I saw 
on the DC Universe, and also that it is a spinoff of Suicide Squad, which we all know bombed critically as well as commercially. So, you know, what is what is the impetus for getting me and getting my butt in the seat in the movie theater to see something that where it, it, it's coming off from a, a property that was very suspect to begin with? Yeah, I mean, okay, so because you're you're absolutely right. You're you're absolutely right. Um, Tia, how long have I been saying Birds of Prey has a marketing problem? I I feel as though I was saying it well before it well before it was cool to say. I was saying you have a marketing problem. Like you're not marketing yourself at all. I don't know if you're telling me it's about Harley's emancipation. Are you telling me it's about the birds of prey? What is your marketing? Tell me what is the moral of, as you said, Will, pretend I've never seen this character before. Why do I want to see this movie? What about your movie would bring me in? And I feel as though it didn't do that. I told you, I thought it was a huge mistake that the cast of Birds of Prey just showed up at New York Comic Con. Why wouldn't you make that known you were going to be there? That's marketing. That's you letting people know you're going to be there. You could sit down. You could do a Q&A. Um, people could ask you stuff about it, um, you know, and you could get an idea of, wow, okay, so this is, this is what I have to look forward to, or this is that, or that is that. And when you just don't do things, like you just show up to do photos and, and sign autographs, I'm like, that's, that's a, you missed it. Like, you missed, you missed that chance, you know? Um, the same way I felt earlier, like, if Ryan Reynolds really wanted Deadpool, you show up to San Diego Comic-Con dressed as Deadpool. That's what you do. And instead, he did one better. He leaked the footage, and, you know, the rest was history. But I'm like, when it comes to marketing, it's more than what people think of a trailer or a billboard. Marketing is so much more than that. Um, and I know I keep going to Deadpool, but I only do that because that is the, that is the height of marketing. You can't get any better than that. Like, there's, I've never seen any marketing better than that um, because it brought in everyone, everyone possible, fans of action, fans of comedy, fans of romance, fans of accuracy, comic book fans. It brought everyone together because that is how you market. Um, no one left Deadpool going, I, I mean, it didn't really, you know, I didn't really get this from the trailer. Yes, you did. You know exactly what to expect from that trailer, whether you're a comic book fan or not, that the trailer showed you it was going to be a funny action movie. And that's what it was. Um, so I'm like, when you don't have an identity and you now are subjecting your audience to create the narrative, that's what you get here. That's when you end up right where you are right now is where people are creating your narrative and you never want to put yourself in that position. Um, I mean, heck I'll even go as far as to say this. I don't think Marvel has ever, excuse me, ever had the best marketing. But when you have a stretch of great movies, you don't really need it. People know what to expect. So it's never like, well, what am I walking into? With DC, you now have shown us Joker, dark, sinister, uh, you know, gripping, compelling, Oscar-worthy, and then you do Birds of Prey. Those are two drastically different movies. So I'm like, people don't even know what to expect movie to movie from you. So I'm like, your marketing is legit everything for you because you can't just say, well, look, 
all of our movies have been lighthearted, so just know it's going to be lighthearted. No, I don't, I don't, I don't know to expect that. <laughs> I mean, your last movie, you were murdering Superman, and like, you know, and then the next one, it's bright and colorful and Aquaman. Like, I, I don't know what to expect from these movies. So I'm like, marketing is very, very, very important. Um, T, I wanted to go back to you. Um, two things. One, did you want to add anything else about our mm-hmm. rating um, before we get into marketing? Um, no, I think we kind of like all went into that individually just fine. All right. So my question to you about marketing is, what was the last, take Deadpool out, because I know people are tired of hearing me use the words dead and pull. Take Deadpool out. What was the last great marketing you saw from a superhero movie? Oh, man, you're putting me on the spot here? Ah, Shit, man. You know, <laughs> I okay. This may not be popular opinion, but I felt like that Spider-Man: Far From Home did a pretty decent marketing. Just because I felt personally like I saw it a lot of places. Like I felt that they found little ways to integrate it into certain things. I remember just kind of like, oh, yeah, Far From Home happening. And it just, it wasn't just trailers being released. There were other aspects to marketing. So I feel like um, maybe, you know, you correct me if I'm wrong here, you know, if you don't think that's the same. But I do remember thinking that the marketing was pretty decent for it, Um, especially since, let's take that movie, for example. You have a lot of people who, once Endgame happened, they said, I don't really care about the MCU anymore. I'm not really uh, in this. Uh, Endgame ended it. It's the story. You know, we, we wrapped up the saga, and I don't need anything else. And I think Far From Home, you know, the people behind that saw that, and they were like, we need to make sure that we get butts back into the theaters here. Let's kind of amp up the marketing a little. So to me, at least, I remember when Far From Home was being marketed, and I saw it uh, more places than I expected to. I did put you on the spot. I'm going to put everyone on the spot, but I'll give you. John and Will have time answer. to think about their their answers. No, 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 no. Their no, questions I'm, will I'm... be different. Their questions will be different. Um, but to give you an example of, of of what I meant to you was a perfect example of marketing that no one ever talks about. That was a beautiful marketing was Captain America: Civil War, and let me tell you why. They did their announcement when Feige was announcing the whole slate of movies where he told everyone, oh, it's going to be Captain America 3, the Serpent Society, and everyone was like, what the fuck are you talking about, Kevin Feige? I want to see that shit. Um, And then he goes, psych, Chris Evans comes out, um, and then Robert Downey Jr. comes out. They reveal that it's Civil War, and then, you know, they, they have like a fighting stance across from each other, and then Chadwick Boseman comes out announces is Black Panther. That's marketing number one. Marketing number two was they had a whole stretch of, uh, not trailers, but kind of like snippets to where they were Mm -hmm. saying, uh, they were having shots at each other. So it was Chris Evans and Robert Downey Jr. arguing over a donut, and then Elizabeth Olsen uh, kind of freaks out and eats the donut. There was um, Anthony Mackie uh, taking shots uh, him and Don Cheadle going back and forth. On social media, oh. you had Chris Hemsworth, uh, not Chris Hemsworth, 
I'm sorry, yeah, Chris Evans and um, Anthony Mackie saying how lazy Don Cheadle and Robert Downey Jr. were because they do a little bit of scenes and then they're in a trailer because other people are, you know, are, are in the actual suit. So I'm like, that is marketing. That's me kind of going like, these guys are really going back and forth. Like, this is so entertaining. I can't wait to see how this plays into the movie. How did it play into the movie? Well, Two sides were separated. So go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, when we're thinking about social media, you know who had a, a really good social media presence? The freaking Defenders universe on Twitter. You had it's the own Jessica Jones, Iron Fist, Daredevil, Punisher, Luke Cage. And they went back and forth with each other constantly, um, constantly commenting on each other, posting out different things. Before Punisher Season 1 came out, the Twitter page was, like, posting little clips every single day, making announcements. Like, you really felt that. And that's something that I don't feel like you necessarily felt from, say, Birds of Prey. You didn't feel that, like, back and forth or anything. And I agree with you. I remember... The, it's funny because that little donut scene actually just popped up on my Twitter again. But you don't – Yeah, that, like, that's that great. That's, that's how you market things. And, you you know, there's a social media for a reason, and you want to get that engagement. And when you don't have that engagement, then it, people pretty much forget that it's even happening. I – I completely agree. To me, I always feel as though the reason why marketing is important to me, I'm not saying the reason why it's important, uh, period, but to me is you create your narrative. So that way, walking into a movie, a critic can't come out and spin the narrative. You've established what someone can expect going into it. Now, if you just completely miss on it, you just completely miss on it. Um, But if what you're marketing is exactly what someone's going in to watch, you should be fine. You should be 100% fine. Um, But, I mean, that was, to me, Civil War is, you know, more recently, uh, some of the best marketing I've seen. Like, you need that. You need your social media presence where if the movie's about the cast fighting, the cast is fighting. Uh, You know, you need fun little videos. Uh, where Captain Iron Man are going at each other and poor Scarlet Witch is just trying to get a donut. Uh, you know, like, you need things like that. And to me, I kind of feel like when you have that, it kind of just boosts and hypes and fuels your movie. And when you don't, it's just like, I have to create the narrative now, and I'm not impressed, you know? And then that now becomes a whole negative influence of people saying, yeah, I didn't even know Birds of Prey came out. Like, that's how quiet it's been, you know? So I'm like, you don't ever really want that. And, you know, again, it, that's not always the case. I don't recall great ad, uh, great marketing for Aquaman, and that was fine, or great marketing for Shazam, and that was fine. Um, or, you know, we'll see with Wonder Woman 84. Um, it doesn't always need it. But if you don't have a great track record, the last thing you want is for us to create your narrative. But, Will, I'm going to go to you next. I will kind of ask the same thing I asked to you. Um, some of the best marketing you've seen, but also, more importantly, how important is marketing to you? Do you feel as though I'm overvaluing it the same way Joel always thinks I do? Um, or do you think it's, it's kind of crucial to this, the box office success of a movie? Um, I think it's critical for the box office – well, 
let me take it de- deconstruct it a little bit. I think it depends on the property, honestly. There's some things that franchises have it built in, and you look at the MCU. It's a twenty, basically a, a decade long, twenty plus film um, effort that it built up to itself, built up over time. That whenever an MCU film is coming out, the, the buzz is already built in there, and, and and that was a lot of sweat equity and just having tremendous success with early on in the franchise of nailing their film so that when you have your subpar MCU films like Thor Dark World, it can overcome it uh, because overall the property has built itself up that it basically generates itself uh, and it creates the buzz for itself. And so that, that, that takes time to build up. Whereas you look at the DCEU, it has had the opposite effect, where it is very up and down. And so now when you do have films that hit the stick the landing and nail it, like like a Joker or like a Shazam. I, I really enjoy Shazam uh, or even Aquaman. Uh, it, it is having to overcome this constant, like, negative vibe that it has, that it has out of the gate from – the missteps that they had with with the Justice League, so so marketing is is very critical because you know once it's baked into the DNA of the populace, it's very hard to overcome those early perceptions, even when you have when you have hits. I and mean, we see that with Star Wars. I mean, Star Wars is a property that is again built in. It has its own built-in hype machine. It doesn't need like extra, extra juice put behind it. And it can have, like for example, for me, Return Rise of Skywalker. I mean, the first trailer I saw back in October or whatever it was, completely like underwhelmed me. But because of Star Wars, I was still like super hyped to go see the film. So you know, you can you, you know you can have that happen. With, with established properties, whereas with uh, where where they can have a few missteps and, and 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 be able to overcome it, whereas with DC, you know, again here we're we're already seeing a narrative that oh here we go again, it's another DCEU film that sucks, it's just this, it's just that, it's blah 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 blah, and, and it's because you know marketing whether it's good or bad, um, you know, good marketing can help turn the tide of bad publicity or bad vibes that people have about about a, a property. So it's very critical for for a property to really do a good job of selling itself to overcome whatever bad taste people have in their mouth because of a, of a prior film or a prior TV show. So getting to your asking me who's done a good job of, of selling themselves uh, without being a Deadpool or the MCU. Um, I would have to say, honestly, maybe the James Bond franchise, um, where hmm. you, you know, you've had a, a turnover of a character who's gone through multiple iterations of actors, multiple generations of 
of themes from the Cold War, James Bond in the 60s, to the goofy, kind of carefree Roger Moore in the 70s and 80s, to the dark Timothy Dalton, to Pierce Brosnan, who started out back to sort of, you know, the, the, the 90s Bond, early 2000s Bond, and to, and now you have uh, Daniel Craig, who, who is a more gritty Bond. And with each iteration of the character, you have to, uh, an actor, you're, you're, you're having to market it as such that, you know, it's, it, it's going to be you know, relevant to the, to the times. And I think those franchises where, you know, I don't think they've had any kind of billion dollar successes, but, you know, you, you, you can't ever, I can never think of a bond where they have, they've underperformed at the box office. So, um, so that's where the marketing does come in, come in handy. Even that you can, you know, of of a way to to re you know to reestablish and 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 build an audience for a new actor who's taken over that role and and continue to have financial success with with the franchise. So I think that's that's an example of of marketing and of of doing it successfully, where you where you do have transitions and been able to, you know, again successfully. Sell a character uh, who who changes every every so often because of uh, obviously just from from time and 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 also actor. Yeah, pretty much. And I, I want to read this from good friend of Geek Vibes Nation, Brandon Davis, um, over that comic book movie. But he says um, he's really wondering: Did they plan? marketing did they plan to market it as a full-on rated r flick a la deadpool and then it tested better with a different possibly younger audience why no red brand trailer why why not embrace how wild it is in marketing i agree with that and i remember having that conversation of didn't we hear it was supposed to be a red band trailer and then it never was and then i was told well the studio never said that and i'm like the studio never says nothing I heard that it was supposed to be a red band trailer. So the fact that you didn't do a red band trailer means you then were saying, shit, we're stuck in this rated R. <laughs> like, we now can't get out of it, and we don't want to double down on it, so we'll just do a nice, safe trailer, which they did, and hopefully people will forget that it's rated R and still bring everyone out to come see it. That's not how movie-going works. It's not how movie going works. It will never be how movie going works. Marketing is how you get that across. And all you right. did was show how wild this movie was going to be. And then yeah, your and, second trailer and, was and, so much more common. And, and and another thing about marketing too, you know, it, it is a it is a social media and driven and, and media driven world. So when you have embargoes on a, you know, it's never. I never take it as a good sign when you have embargoes on a film where a social media embargo is what a week before and the press media is like what three days, two or three days before? Because you're are you right. that worried about your property that you just think it's just gonna get just shit bombed as far as, you know, media reviews and stuff. So I mean if you feel like you have a hit, I mean we you think about it. You when you have a hit, those those embargoes are are 
released a lot sooner so you can get that positive buzz and you get that positive vibe out there. And, and, it, and it was for Birds of Prey. I mean, whenever they released the social media embargo, I was like, huh, it's, it's, getting, it's getting some positive buzz. And so people do pay attention to that. And, and so I think if you hold those things too close to the vest, especially when you have uh, where, where you have a perception problem that, that your franchise is, is shaky at best and you've only had, you know, and, and the public, and at least in the comic book world perception of fandom, Oh, uh, you know, DC, uh, DC sucks, blah, 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 blah. They make great TV shows. They make great TV shows, but their movies are, mm-hmm. you know, you need to like get out there in front of that. And if you're getting that good positive buzz beforehand, use it to your advantage. But I just feel like they didn't. And, you know, February is, is typically a hard month to get people out anyway. Uh, you know, I hate to go back to Deadpool, but you know, you know, maybe Deadpool was one of those exceptions to the rule. Um, but you know, they, but again, if you if you go back and just really tell us what the film's about, and 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 John, you made a good point. Deadpool was great. That's what the greatness about their marketing was. It 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 touched on like different pockets of film demographic groups and and they sold sold those particular points very well which i feel like with this film they didn't and i still don't know exactly what this film's about i mean when i see people reacting to the film everyone's raving about black canary and all the supporting characters i'm not seeing i mean i'm seeing obviously some of that about harley too but you know, again, what is this movie about? Is it about Harley Quinn or is it about the is it about the the the, the birds? I don't know. And I again, I think well, that that underwhelms its ability to to sell itself. Well, here's here's the thing. And Tia spoke to this very early on, so I want to give you a shout out, Tia, um, of the feeling of. By the way, I do want to say, Tia, <laughs> when you when you two do see it. What I'm about to say will will change your mind, but you originally said to you, you never felt like this movie was really highlighting the the birds. Um, and I remember telling you, like I get your sentiment as someone who like loves this this world, you know, wants to see these characters do well. Problem is, someone who has never seen this character these characters before don't really care. So it's like their mind goes, I know Harley. I'll come see it because I know Harley. But the reason why this movie is important and I keep telling everyone to go see it is because now that the Birds of Prey exist, a la your Black Canary, a la your, um, you know, your Huntress, your Renee Montoya, your Cassandra Cain, these characters can now become popularized. If we go out and support them, if we continue to say, well, it's doing bad in the box, and I'm not saying you guys feel that way. I'm not saying that for you guys, but if people feel as though like, oh man, it's not doing one in the box office. Well, I knew it. Not going to go see it. That is killing the genre because if you don't support these characters, think about if Guardians of the Galaxy had a, had a response the same way Birds of Prey was. We just wouldn't see Guardians of the Galaxy anymore because we didn't see them before. 
So I'm like, you have to popularize these characters. So now we can get more comic books. We can get the TV shows. We can get the cartoons. We can get, um, you know, more movies like that. So I'm like, everyone, Will, you just said it. You're hearing everyone talk about Black Canary. Do you know what me and Joel left that movie saying? God damn, we need a Black Canary solo movie. Like Black Canary and Oliver Queen. That's what we want. That's exactly what we both said. And we were, like, texting each other because we saw it at, like, two different times on Thursday night. And we were, like, Black Canary and Oliver Queen. We want to see that movie now. I want to see more of Huntress. Maybe not really Cassandra Kane, but um, or Renee Montoya. But uh, I want to see more Huntress and more Black Canary. And if we don't support it, you know what the studio is going to say? Well, no one likes Black Canary or Huntress, so I won't use them anymore. And that's not a world I want to live in. <laughs> you know, that's, that's not what I want from people who are supposed to be fans of this. Support it. So we can get more. I don't want the CW, Will, for our, our future kids. I don't want the CW to be the only black canary that they know. I don't want that. I don't want that future. I hear you. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe maybe Arrow season eight black canary, but definitely not before. Or uh, Donna Lance. I, but. <laughs> I, I just, I, I'm saying, me and Joel have always joked with each other that it took three actresses to make, to make up one good black canary. So Journey Smith did did it with one performance, what Arrow couldn't do in eight seasons, and that's make a perfect Black Canary. I want to see more of that. And the fact that you actually made her Black Canary. <laughs> so I'm like, I want more of that. But Dom, I want to go to you, and this question is super important. I wanted to ask you this because you saw it. How important do you think it is for these studios to get more people like us just like I'm saying companies should get more people like us in these buildings because you need someone who has their thumb on what's working in today. You can't have an old school mentality of I put it out to go see it because they know Harley. We could have easily, like someone of our mindset that just loves these, uh, these comics, these, these characters, um, you know, these stories, we could have easily told them how much easier they could have made this movie on themselves if they didn't overthink it. Um, how important, Dom, do you think it is for them to have someone? Everyone keeps saying DC needs a Kevin Feige. I don't think you do. I think you just need someone movie to movie that loves their craft, this craft, that has their thumb on what's hot out there um, and how things should work, that is just steering you in the right direction. So you having seen the movie, and you did tell me you, you liked it, so I'm like, mm. there, there are issues with this movie box office-wise. It's more of a fundamental issue. So do you view it, Dom, as like they need a Kevin Feige kind of guy? Or do you think they just should have someone that, doesn't nece- that isn't necessarily the face of DC, um, but is behind the scenes just kind of steering things in the right way and letting them know, this is what will work for the people, and this is not what will work for the people. Um, I believe that, and I feel this way about every um, field, every job. Every, I think I think every job or career path or whatever needs someone who relates to the people that you're trying to relate to. Um, I had had a job I worked at, and I told them 
So like they asked me well, how I'm so successful or like what I was doing, and I was like, well, I'm a field general in my job. I know everybody. I talk to them. I know what they want and what they don't want, and you're giving them what you want to put out, and they don't respond to it well. So I do think they uh, every um, every push, politics, whether it's movies, whether it's music, you need somebody who has the ear to the people and likes exa- uh, that exact thing that you're trying to produce. Um, so with like Birds of Prey, where they drop the ball at is that you have this giant album that you or soundtrack that you are doing with the movie. Well, what movie or music um, uh, companies are doing now is that they are paying influencers to play certain songs with their videos, and people are like, "Oh, what's the name of that song?" And then that song blows up on Billboard. Um, you have Snapchat and Instagram filters that they didn't they didn't utilize, and everybody loves those. You you want people to fall in you know want to be these characters even if they don't know them yet. If you if they would have put some kind of filter where you look like Black Canary and then you open your mouth and um, you know some siren voice comes out, that would make people like oh I kind of want to see what that's gonna look like. You know Harley is already big enough because I feel like. And uh, especially in the movie world, she is the female version of Deadpool. You know, she's kind of kooky. She's got a potty mouth, and, you know, she'll kill you if she has to. And and those two, I feel like, are the most popular um, cosplayer, you know, outfit. So you, you already have that there. So if you want to build upon these other characters, we need to see their faces and kind of know a little bit about them beforehand which is what someone like us would help them do. Um, but, yeah, I think that, you know, a lot of these studios drop the ball on that point where you have the perfect opportunity with social media being the biggest thing on the planet to not even have to spend as much money as you would, you know, making 30 trailers for a movie when you could use the people who have these influencers who may be into that movie you're putting out um, and they can dress up and they can play part of the soundtrack or whatever. Uh, or if you have someone like, you know, Ryan Reynolds who will actually dress up and become that character until and after the movie comes out. And they dropped, they dropped the ball big time with that because I follow some of the artists that were on the soundtrack and they couldn't play the songs because they weren't releasing them. So I saw... You know, one, she would release like a 30-second clip, or not not even 30 seconds, like a 10-second clip of the song and a poster. And that helps create the buzz. So her fan base probably saw um, the movie because they wanted to not just uh, see the movie but also hear her song in the movie. But then you have the others who, uh, because I remember going to look at the soundtrack like, uh, on Monday, and they only had like four songs released. And then even on um, Wednesday night, I looked at the album, and it still hadn't released all the songs. So I'm like, you should have released these songs like two weeks ago, at least a week ago, to let people kind of get a feel for the vibe of the movie before seeing some of these scenes. And then like you guys were saying, with Deadpool being so big, and it came out around Valentine's Day, they should have sold this as like, the opposite, you know, the Deadpool part of the marketing was like, oh, it's a love story. Well, so this one is a breakup story because that's what happened. 
is that the whole premise right. of the you know of, is a breakup. So right. sell it as a breakup, and you could have got you know Beyonce's to the left in in a trailer to kind of signify like oh it's a breakup, and you know I mean they could have made it bigger. Um, so yeah, I think they need you know not just people who are younger, but someone who's younger and also you know into these so you can get a um um contract somebody a freelance um movie consultant or someone who's just super into these books and like hey i saw it the last time i had the movie you know did okay but the story didn't work because you completely missed it i mean we all have watched comic book movies and picked apart something i would say it was our favorite and we picked apart like why didn't they do this or why didn't they do that because we love it so if you have someone like us to kind of be in that room to say, hey, I know you guys are making a movie, but that's not going to work down the line because you remove this person who's a big part of the story and you move that person who's also a big part of the story. So unless you guys are trying to go a different route, you need to do X, Y, Z. And um, I know um, that Margot for – Birds of Prey, you know, she's executive producing, and I know she's in love with this character, but from what I've listened to in interviews, she's not the, the biggest comic book fan, so right. she's going to make decisions that look good for the movie that, or the script they have, but not necessarily for the character itself. So, yeah, they have to, they do need to reach out, and they do need to utilize social media um, because I really, and because I, I think, uh, I'm trying to think the last one, I remember hell, Logan, when they did marketing for Logan, there were Snapchat filters where you could have, you looked like Logan and you had like Wolverine's claws. Um, you had like back in the day when you had Kill Bill, you saw, you know, Uma wearing the yellow suit looking like Bruce Lee. And you're like, oh shit, this is going to be like really intense fighting scenes in this movie because she's clearly wearing this outfit. So yeah, and and that and I feel like that's a, that movie's close to me because it is the Birds of Prey is the the way that it feels. It feels almost like a Tarantino movie, but then you also have yeah. a f- more female led cast that you know there was ways they could have done it, and I, they're trying to hold too much to their vest to not release too much, and sometimes you just gotta put out you know a two two and a half minute trailer so we can kind of see what's going on. Yeah, and you hit it right on right on the head, right on the freaking head. But what I wanted to bring up first was um I looked at this, right? And I, I was I was telling someone this the other day. I, I I looked at this and let me give you numbers that I think are very interesting, okay? Mm-hmm. Birds of Prey had a ninety seven point one million dollar budget. Right? Right, Dom? Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. You as someone who saw it, what about that movie warranted it being $97 million worth of a budget? <laughs> I don't know. Right? Right I'll now. Yeah, yeah, I think it had to be like some kind of explosion budget or something. Now, it let me give you this them. number. Say it again, Thea. It went to paying the actors and the actresses. Yeah, that even that is ridiculous. Cause Journey Journey Bell, I love her. She's family. 
And uh, Mary Mary Elizabeth Winstead, I think is her name. I could be wrong. I could yeah. never really remember her name. Yeah, that's um, You did not have not one actor outside of Margot Robbie that warrants your budget being $97 million. Not one. Not a one. Not a one. Not Rosie Perez. So, no. Ian, uh, no. Uh, Ian McGregor. Ewan McGregor. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. And this is why I say that. This is why I say that. If you're not a Star Wars fan, what do you know Ewan McGregor from? Uh, train spotting. <laughs> so, yeah, that's like 15% of America. <laughs> like, that's not, that's not a large <laughs> amount of people that know Ewan McGregor. So, and that's no disrespect to him because I, I thought he did a freaking amazing job. I think he's a great actor. But let me give you this number. Fifty-eight million. Do you know what movie had that budget? That was rated R. Joker. Joker. Deadpool. No, Deadpool. And that movie oh, seemed like it should have been more than fifty-eight million. The point of me bringing up these numbers is, if you're doing a rated R movie that's based off of a comic book character, you shoot low. You shoot low. Aim high. So what I mean by that is. If Birds of Prey had a $58 million budget, we wouldn't be having this conversation we're having about money right now. Why? Because you've almost tripled what you've actually spent on the movie, and that in itself is a success. You don't need to hit Joker or Deadpool numbers. You have to make up what you spent. So when you do $97 million and then you look at the numbers, you kind of go, I was kind of looking for a lot more. Because I almost put in $100 million to make this movie that only had one special effects scene. One. Just one. So I'm like, $97 million is way too high. So I'm like, if you're doing a rated R movie that is not in a world of Watchmen, that is not, um, you know, in, in, you know, actually just, or inside of a world like Logan, where you're, de- you're depending heavily on special effects, 58 to about $64 million is where you should shoot for. And again, I'm not saying this is someone who knows what the money was spent on. This is just me outside looking in. I would love to talk to the director and figure out why you had such a high budget for a movie that would have existed with just $58 million. Um, but th- that's my point. It's like that, again, is a fundamental reason as to why this is even a conversation is money. Be smarter with your money. And if you're telling me your budget goes to paying your actors or actresses, I would tell you, find other actors and actresses that are cheaper. Like, Margot Robbie was executive producer of this. You could have found a way to make money work, promise her an end on on the merchandising, promise her an end on something else, um, to where you could have made this money work. Um, But it's it's one of those frustrating things to where it's just like, I'm tired of having this conversation of DC just not getting it. And I don't mean not getting it necessarily from a comic book standpoint because we have this conversation every day. We know they're never going to give us anything that we really want. They're going to do what they think is best to sell, right? So I look at it and I go, Dom, you know what bothers me about Margot Robbie? As much of a huge fan as she says she is of Harley Quinn, I despise the fact, and, and me and Joel got in a shouting match about this. I despise <laughs> how horrible I think she sounds as Harley Quinn. 
I think she sounds horrible. I think she sounds putrid. And I don't even think she's trying. Go, and this is what I tell everyone, because the only thing we have to base how Harley Quinn sounds is the original Batman the Animated Series, right? Like, all, all four of us have watched that, right? So then you go, mm-hmm. that was a very much so New York accent, right? So then someone will go, well, Jawan, she's from Australia. What do you expect her to sound like? I would then respond, watch Wolf of Wall Street. She sounds exactly like Harley Quinn in that movie. Uh, I mean, yeah. exactly yeah. like Harley Quinn. So don't tell me, Kelly, oh, well, she had, you know, go ahead, I'm sorry. Kelly Cuoco also does a good job of voicing Harley in the exactly. Harley Quinn series on DC Universe. Yes, that's exactly what I told Joel also. He's trying to tell me, and many people, not just Joel, I hear this a lot with people that are just content with how she sounds. Um, you know, she's obviously not from New York. She's obviously not from wherever. She's from Australia. She's trying to do her best, uh, you know, the best version of that that she can. And I would say, if I had never seen Wolf of Wall Street, I wouldn't argue with you. I would say, well, she's doing the best she can. But if you listen to Wolf of Wall Street, and I want you all to just watch that one clip of her talking to Leo, and then you'll get what I'm saying. You'll hear how New York she sounds in that. And then how she just sounds plain, just plain Jane as Harley Quinn. And again, I don't blame her because maybe that was the direction David Ayer wanted her to go in. Um, But I'm just like, something as small as that is like, why? Like, why? Why not shoot for something more accurate? You know, and I'm like, this this movie did a really good job capturing accuracy outside of that. Um, but I'm like, to me, small things like that bother me. But but anyway, T, I want to go. I want to go back to you. Um, with everything Dom was saying about the importance of just having your thumb on on what what works, I feel as though DC does not have many people um, that are heavy and social media, if you follow Chris Evans, just Chris Evans, that's everything you need of a social media um, presence, like for Marvel. That's all you would need. You wouldn't even get into how much um, Robert Downey Jr. uses it, or Tom Holland, or Brie Larson, or, um, you know, Rosario Dawson, which she was doing Luke Cage, or just so many other actors and actresses in the MCU that are just heavy on social media. So you kind of feel as though it's an extension, you know. Um, they're giving you, like, oh, you know, Zoe Zaldana will, will, will shoot a video of her sitting in the chair prepping for Gamora. So you're like, oh, my God, is Guardians filming soon? You're just getting hyped for it. DC is like, hey, here's the trailer. I didn't even know you started shooting. <laughs> no one said anything. Like, what, what was happening? So I feel as though DC just kind of plays from an area in the dark that sure could work. But it just hasn't. So when you look at that, Tia, what is one of the things you think they could do marketing-wise or just image-wise to better help get themselves out of such a constant negative media circus that they somehow always find their, uh, their, themselves in? Well, it's funny that you say all of that because remember, what was it, last year at some point, when they released the, um, I forget what it was called, but it was a little video of all the characters in their costumes. Um, And so we saw that, right? It was the one where 
uh, Margot Robbie's twirling around his Harley with a drink in her hand, and we see, um, you know, uh, Black Canary with a baseball bat, you know, so we saw, like, a little bit, and then it went months, months without anything. You, you forgot that they were filming. Take uh, Matt Reeves for an example, right, um, for a DC person. Matt Reeves builds the hype. Now I know what, you know, people may say, it's Batman, you don't really need hype, but what is he doing? Every time he casts someone, he releases just a little thing on Twitter that gets the whole entire uh, Twitter sphere up, you know, and, and excited and, ooh, what's going on? The wonderment is there. So the excitement is there. And I think that when, you know, some actors may want to stay away from social media because they want their private lives to be private, and I respect that. But if you are going to be an actor in a big franchise, you need social media. Even Tom Hiddleston, who does have, say, both an Instagram and a Twitter, but not entirely, say, so present on it. But even he, what was it, a week or so ago, posted just a simple little video of him, uh, you know, on rope jumping into something as if, you know, right. to prepare for Loki, right? So even uh-huh. something as simple, simple as that, no one's saying that we need a 10-minute video of you behind the scenes, taking videos, showing everything, yada, yada. But these little hints and these little t- tidbits really get people excited. And if Margot Robbie like, was doing that, if all of them were doing it, that would have gotten people really excited because not – Everyone was excited for this movie. I mean, uh, what was it? We did a show maybe a month and a half ago where they released maybe the third trailer. And that was like the final time where I told you, okay, now I have some sort of excitement for this movie. It took three trailers for me to even say that because the previous two, I was like, meh, 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 you know? So it didn't seem like there was a whole lot of like teasing going on um and marketing is extremely important what Dom was saying is extremely important and they don't seem to have their thumb on that and it's really too bad because you guys saw it you liked it the critics really liked the movie it got um, a lot of positive buzz but the numbers just aren't reflecting it and you're going to have people right who don't really say maybe read critics reviews, they're not really on, say, social media, so they're not paying attention to stuff, but they see uh, Birds of Prey made only $33 million its first weekend when it was projected originally to make 45 to $50 million, and then that lowered to $35 million, and it still didn't hit the $35 million mark that then they projected it to do. And they're going to see that, and they're going to go, oh, it's not doing too well. I'll just wait for it to come out. Yeah. No, very much so. And, and I know a lot of people are going to hear what we're saying, kind of find it a bit superficial. Like, does it really matter? And I'll tell you this. I didn't know what to expect of Titans. You know what got me excited for Titans? When they first released Britain Thwaites in that Robin costume, and I said, God damn, does that look beautiful. Like, it looked beautiful. I didn't care that Starfire looked like a hooker in every photo I saw. I didn't care that Raven didn't look like Raven. I didn't care that it looked like Beast Boy was probably never green uh, in what I saw from the the behind-the-scenes photos. 
when I saw that official Robin photo, I said, oh, sign me the hell up. I said, yeah, Joel, do me a favor, buy DC and, and give me your password so I could watch Titan. Like, that's the first thing I said, because that costume, just showing that, got me excited enough to say, you know what? I'm going to give this show a chance. Yeah, maybe they could do it. Maybe they could really do it. And I'm glad I gave it the chance because it's one of my all-time favorite superhero shows. It just it hits on all the things I find important, and it started with that one photo. Like, you just giving me Robert Pattinson. Robert Pattinson logs on Twitter and just posts a photo of him sitting down, like his back to the camera, um, and him kind of like a, a, a cow sitting next to him. Like, we can't see the design, just the back of it. I tell you right now, social media would explode because that's how yeah. important that is. So you can't tell me that social media for movies aren't important because you just tweeting that out will break the internet. It'll break it. Even though we saw nothing but his back and the back of the cow, it'll shut all of social media down. Um, but and, uh, really quickly, see, uh, really quickly, see, uh, hold hold that thought. Remember your thought. I want to go to Will before he has the before he has the jet out of here. Um, Will, did you have any response to to anything me or Tia were were, were saying? I hundred percent co-sign what you're saying about social media and reactions. I mean, you're you're totally right. Whenever we get those morsels from the actor or director, whoever, about. Uh, particular particular pro- project they're working on, yeah. I mean, we all just—it's just a buzz. I mean, you think you know, it'll trend for for hours on on, on social media. So it, that element, especially with these tentpole franchise films, you can't oversell that. Uh, and that earned media is just—you know—you just you will you will get it back a thousandfold when you when you do those types of things. A hundred percent. And I, I just think it's undervalued by these studios. And I don't think they realize that it's so, like, it doesn't spoil anything for us by you showing me what Batman's going to look like. Like that shouldn't be something I have to wait months and months and months to see. That's why Zach was such a, I will forever find him to be a genius for that. He released what Batman looked like before they even started, like, necessarily filming. Like, like legit, legit filming. Um, he released the photo. And I barely, like, as he always says, that photo was so dark, I can barely make out what Batman looked like. But I knew how great that suit looked. And that was enough for me. Like, that held me. And then we didn't see anything yeah, yeah. else from that Batman and, on, on and set. So they released the trailer. Exactly. It's, it's all... Yeah, it's all about building that anticipation. I mean, it's you, you want you want your audience to be like just waiting for like can't wait for for this film to, to pop up. I mean, that 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 that's that generates success down the road when whenever you have that that anticipation and 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 creating that it factor about this is a must see event. And you don't, you know, and you and you want to, you don't want to be the one around a proverbial water cooler, not being in the know about about this. I mean, hell, Baby Yoda. I mean, just just think about once that moment hit when, I mean, we didn't get anything before it, but whenever we got that first episode of Mandalorian and we saw that saw that puppet, I mean, yeah. it, it's all the rage, and you know, and it, yeah. and it built. You know, and 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 it and it built 
from that. So each week you were like looking forward to like what's going to happen with the baby, what's going to happen with Baby Yoda on on the Mandalorian. I mean, it's just, I mean, it can come in various forms, whether it's you know months before a, a big feature film's about to drop, or once that first episode drops in, in a in a in a series, and you have that viral moment, and 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 that's what you want if you're if you're a content creator. Absolutely. I mean, we saw when James Gunn showed us Baby Group for the first time. The internet was going crazy. It was like, I want that. Like, I that's my child now. Like, I want a Baby yeah. Group. Um, yep. And it was all the rage. But um, I, I don't want to hold you too much longer, Will. We're going to be wrapping this up soon. But um, before you go, man, uh, first of all, thank you so much for joining us, man. We love having you on. Um, yeah, thanks for having importantly, me. Absolutely, but more importantly, let the audience know where they can check out uh, Cena Nerds. Yeah, so you can find us. We uh, we have a Twitter handle, Cena and at Cena Nerd. Uh, find us on Facebook. We have our Facebook page, and we also have a Facebook group. So feel free to jump in and join in the chat and conversation there. Uh, we have a, our weekly podcast that you can find on all your podcast uh, channels: Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. YouTube. So uh, look us up, subscribe to us, please leave a comment. Uh, we, we love reviews. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, thanks again also to Geek by Nation for also hosting us on, on your platform as well. So uh, there's no shortage of places to find us and uh, we hope you enjoy what you hear. Absolutely. Make sure you guys check us, check out Will's post on our um, Facebook page. It's getting a lot of traction. It's about technically what this podcast is about, which is uh, the so-called disappointing numbers of Birds of Prey's debut. Will has over uh, 20 likes already and, like, 30 comments. Like, people are going crazy. Oh, wow. So make sure you check that out also. Yeah, Will, you should go take a look at that. Uh, that'll be a, a whole night and a half uh, for you to get through that. But um, thank you so much, Will. And um, absolutely, you guys make sure you check out Cena Nerds. Um Thank you. Take care. Absolutely, brother. You too. Um, Tia, I want to go back to you because I made you hold on to your thought. Uh, so I don't want to keep talking. I want you to get your thought out. No, I, I was going to say, um, just kind of focusing still on marketing, is how important it was for this movie. And I don't need to get up on my soapbox, but I feel like we must. And with me being the only girl on this uh, podcast, Birds, and, Birds of Prey had an uphill battle to contend with. Not only did not only is it a DC movie, and DC doesn't have the best track record, you also have an all-girl, uh, female-led superhero movie, and it's not Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman is going to do good no matter what, uh, just because it's Wonder Woman. But when you have a movie that has, what, literally four or five females uh, fighting up against a man, it just somehow seems to translate into, say, a feminist statement uh, that threatens some people. I'm not saying you guys, you guys are all stand-up gentlemen, but uh, some people, and I even sent one of those posts to Juwan where because uh, these, because Harley Quinn was wearing more clothes and Birds of Prey than she was in Suicide Squad or because uh, Huntress, you know, didn't have a skimpy leotard or something, suddenly it just becomes this, uh, 
you know, whatchamacallit, this, this object of criticism before people can even see the movie. And so I feel like when you have a movie that is going to come under scrutiny just for the simple fact that women exist, um, and I'm not trying to use the Elizabeth Banks uh, excuse here for the reason why Charlie's Angels, Mom, because that just looks like a shit movie. But when you have something like Birds of Prey that's already, like, you know, approaching this uphill battle, you need to really just constantly market it so that people want to go see this movie. See, and that's what's crazy, because Charlie's Angels, Sucker Punch, Kill Bill, I'd even say Mulan right now. Um, I'm sure I'm, I'm missing probably a, a billion other female-led um, movies. Um, oh, the one Charlize Theron just did, the action, the action flick. Can't think of the name of it, but that. Um, I look at it and I go, I don't even know if that's an excuse. Because you look at Sucker Punch. That got bad reviews. Why? Because people deem that to be one of Zach's worst movies. I love that movie to death. They were all fully clothed. It wasn't overtly sexualizing anyone. This is a bunch of badass chicks just kicking butt. Like, I loved it. Uh, Kill Bill. That very much was a, um, you know, was a female empowering movie. But, again, it's all about your delivery. Like, that movie didn't, didn't ever feel like it was putting men down. Like, I, I never really got that feeling from that movie. It was just a great revenge story. Uh, you know, like, I didn't look at it for anything else but a great revenge story. Um, Sucker Punch, I thought, to a degree, was a revenge story. You go the Charlize Theron movie, that was very much so a revenge story. Um, I'm kind of getting a, a, a pattern here. But anyway, um, I, I, I think if you – I think it's an excuse if someone tells you that that is the reason why they didn't like Birds of Prey to you or why they don't watch uh, – or why they don't want to go watch it. Um, because here's my thing. I I was saying my biggest issue with the first two seasons of Supergirl is that it was trying too hard to be political, and it's like you could do it where it's free flowing, to where you bring in a transgender character, you bring in uh, a, a a character that wasn't originally gay that you're now making gay, and it's just it it's a a seamless transition. Like it doesn't feel like you're trying to parade it. Supergirl felt like it was always parading certain things and it's like we get it trans people exist supergirl you weren't the first show to do it we, we get it um and i never feel like these female-led movies do that so i'm like for a guy to go well you know y'all, like i'll give you an example every lifetime movie ever to exist is purely for the point of putting down men they don't have smart men in it they don't have good men in it it's like men are either murderers racist stealers uh, just idiots, um, that is putting down men. That's what a Lifetime movie is. Birds of Prey is not that. It, it's not that at all. Ewan McGregor is still a strong character. Zaz is still a strong character. Um, Joker, even though he's not in it, is still a strong character because uh, he's meant in every five seconds. Um, but it, it, it doesn't have that feel, to be completely honest with you. And for anyone who's saying they want Harley Quinn less clothed, I would let you know your first time seeing Harley Quinn was at a complete court jester uh, outfit. I it was know. showing you nothing. <laughs> it was showing you absolutely nothing. It wasn't until modern day, like maybe 10, 10 years ago, if that, that might be a little too long, 10, 15 years ago, um, that they started 
sexualizing Harley Quinn to where you could visually see less and less. Um, so I would just say you men are disgusting if 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 that's your hate on Harley Quinn is that she had too much clothes on. Like, all right, that's okay. Uh, but but Dom, like from from what she is saying, go ahead, dude. I'm sorry. Oh my god, I'm so sorry. Did you really quick? No, no, I, I saw that. I saw that on Twitter. Like someone, like you know, say that or that, whatever. And I literally commented. I go, "Did you forget what her first iteration was? She was head to toe covered." <laughs> yeah, I'm like, that's that's really weird. That's like saying, like, "Oh my god, poison ivy has so much clothes on." Like, well, I mean, the leotard thing that she wears, like the the anyway, uh, Dom. But what she is saying. Do you kind of see it that same way to where um, maybe Birds of Prey uh, or maybe some people are viewing Birds of Prey as not really, I guess, doing a accurate look? Because I left I, – I don't know if you guys saw my post on Facebook, but when I left that movie, I, I said the accuracy is what blew me away. Um, I mean, they hit so many, so many points that were just dialogue points that I'm like, whoa, like <laughs> this director really, really knew what she was doing. Um, but I mean, do you see that as an issue, Dom, to where it it was so female empowered that it might have been considered as putting down men? Maybe that might have been a little bit of what might be affecting it at all. <clears throat> no, like not at all. Like I was, I was genuinely confused when I started seeing all the hate on like Twitter, which I think most of the people who are complaining haven't even seen the movie. But right, I, yeah, I was really confused. I've I've never, and maybe it's just because I've always been like, you know, a confident guy. So if you were putting me down, I don't see it anyway, unless it's really blatant. But yeah, I didn't, I didn't really notice it, it at all because I mean, I feel like it's one of those things that, you know, that what's that saying? You know, you'll find what you're looking for. If you really want to go right. into that movie and like see like or they're hating on men, then, yeah, you could find it. But that's because it was a breakup. So, of course, she doesn't like this guy right now. They broke up. Like, and and, and it, it does seem like now that it's just becoming like a battle of the sexist thing because I saw people talking about, you know, oh, they make all these guys the uh, bad guys. Well, yeah, but if I watch, you know, Fast and Furious, you know, the opposite of the good guys, they're all guys and the bad guys, but we don't have a problem with it. But now all of a sudden, all of a sudden, we have a problem with it. So it's very confusing to me, and it seems like you know, honestly, it seems like there's this weird um, campaign that's been started by some group to just go around and you know just talk shit because you know a lot of these profiles I click on, there they'll be you know the uh, sock puppet type accounts where there's only like, you know, they have 10, they're following 10 people and have like one follower and a fake picture. So I really honestly can't tell how many of these people have actually seen it. Uh, It just looks like a bunch of like uh, copy pasta. It's just unfortunate that like they won't allow people to kind of, you know, get a opinion first. Uh, and I've seen, like, AJ's been at work on Twitter, like, you haven't even seen it, have you? No, nope, you haven't seen it? Why, you know, so we've been trying to defend this movie because we've seen it, and 
it's very unfortunate that like people are possibly missing out on something that they could be possibly their favorite movie because I have seen a lot of people who are listing their, you know, their uh, DC movies in order and Birds of Prey is not at the bottom. It's in the middle or towards the top. So, yeah, yeah. if, if, if I watch, you know, if I go into, you know, watching Power Rangers and I'm like, the movie, they didn't even fight a lot. Yeah, because you you have this expectation if you want to see a fight scene every moment and then you are disappointed. So, yeah, if you want to go in there and find that, that it's a sexist movie, sure. If you want to see that, you can see that. But I didn't see it that way. Um, I thought it was one of, you know, I mean, it, I, the way it's set up is just great and it's fun to watch and it keeps you locked in the entire time. So, yeah, people are they're tripping. Yeah, I mean, I, I just... Go ahead. It makes me wonder that if a movie, say, like Kill Bill was done today, if we would have had the same sort of, like, social media uproar that we have right. uh, with, you know, say, Captain Marvel, Birds of Prey, yada, yada. And I know that's, like, a conversation for another time, but as a woman, I cannot help but see it from those lens. Because I just want to see a good movie, and it's like, I don't need every single movie to be the feminist platform for which I fight for. I just want to enjoy a movie. But for some reason, we can't just enjoy movies. Right. Like, I mean, I'll give you a perfect example of exactly what you're saying, Tia. I don't think any time you have, uh, like, a really good black actor, he has to be a villain, right? But that doesn't mean I don't ever want to see Denzel as a villain again. That just means every movie Denzel shouldn't be a villain. So like what you're saying, like, yeah, I, I, I want some of that to where we're getting proper representation, but Tia's not asking for you to have every movie be girl versus girl. Like, I'm, it's not realistic. Like, <laughs> it's just yeah. not realistic. Like, there's going to be a, a guy mafia boss. Like, I'm not asking for every every movie to be, oh, my main character's female? Oh, all right, well, so the villain has to be. No, just be, be, be realistic. So I, I just think what we have to chalk it up to is a bunch of guys that ask girls out, girls say no, they take it to heart, and now they just hate women. That, that, that's what I take it as. That, that's honestly <laughs> what I take it as. Either that or guys that just feel threatened by the fact that women mm-hmm. are like, women can be strong. Like, they, they don't need you. They don't need the, you know, the, the approval of you. They're good. Like, they're fine. Um, so, I mean, those are just people that I, I always say I just I don't pay attention to. Like, you guys don't see me argue on Twitter. Why? Because I don't pay attention to all of this negativity. It just does nothing good for me. So I'm like, I ignore it and move on about my day. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I, I don't want to stretch this out any longer than we are than I already have. Um we had a great episode. Tia, hopefully you see it soon so we can have a um, a Birds of Prey review show because I would very much like to hear – because Joel made this, this point that I thought was very, very good, and I'm like, I kind of want to do this. Um, you know how, like, if – like, when Malcolm X came out, I don't mm-hmm. want to hear how someone white felt about Malcolm X. I kind of – this like I disregard your opinion because it's not your your review isn't coming from a standpoint of having been through it right 
So, you know, I would like to hear it from someone else, but so I would like to hear how how someone felt about Birds of Prey. Like, I would love to see it with a few different, like, with a few females and see how they felt just viewing it as a movie in itself. It's message, stuff like that, taking the whole geek world out of it. Um, so, I like, I want to hear your thoughts, and do you feel as though it was overtly pushing a message, or do you feel as though it was watering down the male characters to further lift the female characters? Like, I want to know how you viewed it, because um, all I've heard is, is men, <laughs> like how men <laughs> felt about the movie, and I'm like, all right, no, that's great, but like, I want to hear more more women, like, what did you think of the movie Outside of you being a fan of its geekdom, just a movie in itself, where did it put you at? Uh, you know, what kind of space did it put you in? So I'm like, I want to review it with you, Tia. Gotta go see it. <laughs> I'm hoping this weekend to to go see it. I promise. <laughs> All right, perfect, perfect. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, moral of the story. I, I think more conversations like this are necessary. I say all the time, I had to, I had, we have the interview on here of when I interviewed an executive producer, and he stressed how important marketing is. A lot of what everyone's freaking out about, we had this conversation with him uh, early last year. We even, uh, we even said we thought Joker was going to break the bank um, and, and change the narrative of, well, now, if this is a success, are you going to have more rated R movies? And sure enough. Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey, rated R. So I'm like, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, I know you guys get tired of hearing me talk about marketing, but it legit could save a franchise um, by itself. Just just the marketing could save a movie Um, because that's how important it is. So hopefully you guys learned something. Hopefully you guys that were freaking out about its numbers are less freaked out. Moral of the story is Warner Brothers, even if this movie does underperform in the box office, I don't want to see you shy away from doing more, more female-led films. Like, follow this up with the Supergirl. Follow this up with the Batgirl. Follow this up with Gotham City Sirens. Um, you know, if you're really brave, follow this up with a Catwoman solo. Um, that is a character that can live in a world uh, without Batman. You know, I know a lot of people don't know that, but she can. Um, and she very much has a mob-like background, so you can dig into that and see how she becomes Catwoman and all the adversity that she had to go through. Um, so I'm like, more female-led stories. That's what we want. Um, you know, don't shy away from that. Don't let this be something that ruins something that we've all been working so hard to get to. We've wanted to see these characters. Um, so Tia, I want to thank you so much. Dom and Will, I want to thank you guys so much for joining me for this episode. Um, really quickly, Tia, is there anyone you want to see bring home the Oscar tonight? Anyone specifically? It could be an actor or a movie. Or an actor. Oh my gosh. Um, I know that this is probably like the underdog, but you guys know how much I love Jojo Rabbit. So whatever it's nominated for, I know it's not going to get Best Picture. Um, and I think that any of them that win Best Picture absolutely deserve it because they are all fantastic movies. But if Jojo Rabbit could just walk away with just one win for something, I will be happy. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, Dom, who are you hoping bring something home tonight? Uh, I really want to see um, 
Rocket Man gets a reg- uh, some more recognition. Mm. Um, I got a I got a screener for that movie, and I watched it like three times. I thought it was a great movie. Absolutely, I love Taron Egerton. Um, so I mean, I would love to see him be able to bring something home for for that amazing accomplishment of a movie. I uh, you guys know me. I, I want to see Brad Pitt bring something home. He was the standout of that movie. I don't care what anyone says about Leo. Brad Pitt was a standout. He is back into true Brad Pitt form. I want to see him bring something home. And I want to see my homeboy, Martin Scorsese, bring something <laughs> home, baby. And then I want to see you hold up a sign that says F superheroes. Do it, Marty. Only you can. Go out there and do it. Tell them to suck it. Uh, but no, oh. seriously, I want to see. No, go ahead, Jill. Really quick, when you guys get a chance, you have to watch Adam Sandler and also those behind Uncut Gems. Their acceptance speeches at the Spirit Awards, where Adam Sandler says that the uh, Spirit Awards are the miscongeniality. He's like, you can keep your Oscars, but I'll take the Spirit Award. <laughs> Absolutely. Adam Sandler, who is someone who barely does movies like this, 100% deserved an Oscar nod. Um, for the amazing job he did in that movie. I mean, amazing job. Um, but we know there's a cutoff. There's always a cutoff. So um, we recognize these movies, and that's why I always feel as though we have to take the importance out of Oscars, out of Grammys, because I feel as though if the fans know that you deserve it, that should be all that matters. Um, because I can tell you right now, I think all three of us feel as though he deserves uh, to be on stage or, or to be nominated with those other names, um, you know, very much so. So, Adam Sandler, you're a winner to us, man. Take that award and cherish that as if it were an Oscar because, um, unfortunately, probably not going to win an Oscar. Um, but, yeah, all right. Shouts out to Brad Pitt and Martin Scorsese. Bring one home for me. Um, but, all right. That's all we got for you guys. We will see you. Maybe we'll do a special episode this week of some big news drops. There should be some news dropping this week. Um, But till then, we'll see you guys same time, same place next week. Peace. Peace.